You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Take Ivan his transitory life unto his divine mercy. The late, most high, most mighty, and most excellent monarch, Elizabeth II. A very poignant moment as Queen Elizabeth Coffin is lowered into the royal vault at St. George's Chapel as her son, King Charles III, looks on. A lone bagpiper plays one last lament for Her Majesty. Pipes can choke you up. Good evening, everyone, and thanks very much for joining us. We begin tonight with a recognition of the enormity of the funeral for Queen Elizabeth II and how the world really shared in the royal family's grief. The ceremony was like nothing ever broadcast before, full of rich history, intimacy and symbolism watched by millions around the world who witnessed the end of an amazing era and the beginning of another. Crystal Commencing reports. Queen Elizabeth II, Britain's longest reigning monarch, is now at rest. 500 leaders and dignitaries from around the world gathered for her state funeral in London's storied Westminster Abbey, the place where Her Majesty marked two of her life's biggest milestones, her wedding and her coronation. On this, the final day of mourning her loss, pomp, ceremony, and tradition. We will never see a day like this again in our lifetimes. What we have seen over the last 11 days is choreography, something that the Queen put together with her advisors, and she took the monarchy to the world stage. King Charles III led the royal procession following the Queen's coffin. It was carried from Westminster Hall to the Abbey by gun carriage, pulled by 142 Royal Navy sailors. The same carriage was used for the Queen's father's funeral, King George VI. In total, more than 2,000 people were on hand to bear witness. Millions more watched the historic occasion from around the world. Her late majesty famously declared on a 21st birthday broadcast that her whole life would be dedicated to serving the nation and Commonwealth. Rarely has such a promise been so well kept. On her coffin, a handwritten note from her son, the king, that said, in loving and devoted memory. While her kingdom lost a greatly respected leader, the royals lost a cherished family matriarch. The state service ended with two minutes of silence and the national anthem, God Save the King. The Queen's coffin was carried out of Westminster Abbey and placed back on the gun carriage and taken through the streets of London one last time before meeting up with the state hearse that would take Her Majesty home to Windsor Castle. Four RCMP officers helped lead the procession atop horses previously gifted to the Queen. In Windsor, not an inch of space was left on the long walk leading to the castle. The five-kilometer stretch of green space filled to capacity before the procession arrived, everyone wanting to pay their respects. One touching and surprising moment, the Queen's precious corgis and her favorite pony awaiting her arrival. In St. George's Chapel, a more intimate gathering for the committal service. 
Around 800 were in attendance to see the imperial state crown, the orb and scepter removed from Queen Elizabeth's coffin, marking the end of the late queen's reign. The coffin then lowered into the royal vault before a private burial service attended by members of the royal family. The national mourning period now comes to an end, but for members of the royal family, it will continue for another seven days. Crystal Gamansing, Global News, Windsor. Back here at home, officials at the PNE are still tallying up the damage after a riot last night that broke out when rapper Lil Baby abruptly canceled his show. And while the majority of the 5,200 concert goers took it well and went home, about a thousand more stayed behind and caused a lot of trouble. For the very latest, let's bring in our Grace Key, who is live at the PE with more. Grace? Yeah, behind me here, they have pretty much cleaned up all that mess from last night. Now, the PE did release a statement saying that staff didn't even know about the cancellation until after the performer left the site. The baby arrived to breakout festival and was unfortunately too sick to perform. With the announcement of a canceled concert at the Peony Amphitheater, a riot erupted Sunday night. Concert goers say fights were already breaking out after an antsy crowd waited an hour for the performance to start. As soon as the announcement was made, everybody was trying to run out as fast as they could. And we didn't quite get caught up in that because we made it out pretty fast. Crowds almost toppled everybody over. So like we were just we were leaving as soon as we could, but like we almost fell and got crushed. I saw people stealing credit card machines. Like when you tap your phone to pay, people were stealing credit card machines. People were stealing merch. People were stealing drinks. Everything. It was free game for them until the cops came, I guess. Vancouver police were already at the venue providing extra security. Dozens more were called in. Officers had bottles and other objects thrown at them. The chaos spilled out into the streets and into neighborhoods. I didn't really want to open the door and come out and, and look because you never know, you know. Hearing there was a riot and seeing all the police vehicles surrounding the whole neighborhood and throughout was a little bit, yeah, unsettling to say the least. Yeah! They were here to see rapper Lil Baby as part of the two-day breakout festival. Event organizers released a statement reading in part, We want to apologize to everyone who peacefully left the venue, as well as the venue staff and the Hastings Sunrise neighborhood. Safety of our guests and venue staff is our number one priority. By daybreak, the destruction was evident. Hundreds of thousands of dollars in damage, seven people arrested, no major injuries. The PE says it hosts 1,800 events successfully, adding police and security prevented the situation from getting worse. I think in this case, um, you know, it would have been hard to have enough people on site to prevent something like this if, if a thousand people decide that this is how they're going to react. So the PE is apologizing to neighbors and businesses who may have had some property damage and they are working with event organizers to make sure that the repairs are made. As for the criminal investigation, that is expected to take months with more arrests expected. Chris? All right, Grace Key in Vancouver. Thanks, Grace. Well, the issue of youth violence in Surrey is heating up after video posted online of a confrontation between a group of young men and an RCMP officer. As Krista Dow reports, it happened at a place notorious for trouble. 
The intensity of the confrontation captured from every angle. An RCMP officer is swarmed while trying to leave. The videos taken on September 11th at the Strawberry Hill Plaza show a group of young men surrounding a police officer. Okay, and you give your badge number and name first? No. The RCMP officer was called to the parking lot for a noise complaint just after 8 p.m. and issued a ticket to a driver who had souped up his car to make it extremely loud. Some members of the crowd who RCMP say had been given tickets already this month became belligerent. He was not feeling safe at the moment. He needed to get out of the situation. Um, and then our officer tried to leave in his police vehicle with lights and sirens, and a group of males um, tried to prevent him from leaving. The incident has veteran police officer and youth advocate Cal Dosange calling for stiffer penalties, a way, he says, to send a strong message. I found it tremendously disturbing. And as far as I'm concerned, uh, the primary fear here is that the absence of any kind of significant legal repercussions or consequences would embolden this kind of criminal element and give these kids the idea it's okay to get away with something like that. There needs to be some serious sanctions and punitive measures brought into place. It's believed some of the youths were international students, with some even reaching out to Dessange directly. The ones that contacted me expressed some significant concerns with respect to the conduct of the officer. However, as far as I'm concerned, engaging in that type of of inappropriate behavior doesn't right or wrong. RCMP are working to identify the people involved and say charges of obstruction of justice and intimidation of the justice system are being pursued. Meantime, RCMP say it's aware of the public's concerns about the area, which has become a flagrant hotspot for stunt driving and disorder and say enforcement has been ramped up to safely allow families to attend movie night in peace. Krista Dow, Global News. And there's more. Police officers in Nanaimo escaped serious injury after taking shots from a man with a BB gun. It happened yesterday around 6 p.m. near Shook and Dover Roads. Nanaimo RCMP say a man shot at a police vehicle. As more officers responded, the suspect hid behind a rock and kept shooting. One of the pellets ricocheted off a car and hit an officer in the leg. 35-year-old Daniel McClintock was arrested with the help of the K-9 unit. He's been charged with mischief and assaulting a peace officer with a weapon. All right, the fall rollout of the latest COVID-19 vaccine is underway at clinics and pharmacies across the province. Text messages have started going out inviting people to book their shots. Aaron MacArthur has more on the timing of the booster. The texts are going out. Still plenty of appointments available. BC has launched its fall booster campaign. By the end of the month, the system should be operating at full capacity. The Moderna bivalent vaccine available for the first time. There are more than 400,000 doses ready to be distributed in BC. The government expecting another surge in cases this fall. There's a lot of uncertainty, but this is our best um, guess of what's going to happen and unfold over the coming months. 600,000 invitations have been sent out so far. The priority remains risk-based. But the amount of time that's passed between shots will also play a role. The National Advisory Committee on Immunization is recommending six months between shots. That goes down to three months if someone has had COVID recently. I think six months is the outside limit. I think that uh, people uh, should just get vaccinated when they are called if they think they should get a vaccine sooner. 
call an expert, discuss it, and see what can be done. While Health Canada has approved the Moderna bivalent vaccine, which covers Omicron as well as previous variants, people still have a choice in what vaccine they get. Pfizer is available for anyone 12 and over. Pediatric formulas remain available, and non-mRNA options are also on the table. According to physicians, there is no reason not to get immunized this fall. We need to get to the 80-90% range across the general population. We need to get the children vaccinated. They're still well below 50% in terms of even having been uh, vaccinated with the first two shots. Pfizer's version of a bivalent vaccine is expected to receive Health Canada approval later this fall. BC says shipments of that vaccine could begin as soon as next week if the vaccine is greenlit. And starting in October, the COVID shot will be co-administered with the influenza vaccine. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. All right, for more on those shipments, Keith Baldry joins us from Victoria. What do we know about the vaccine supply chain, Keith? Well, first of all, we're going to get a lot more vaccine than we've uh, received in recent months. Our vaccination program sort of slowed down considerably when uh, the number of people got their two doses and then three doses. More than a million people were invited to get a third dose, but have yet to take up that invitation. It'll be interesting to see when people are invited to get that second booster. I think the take up will be higher than what we saw previously. So here's how the numbers break down in terms of what the supply chain is going to look like. Uh, the vaccine batches will arrive weekly, usually on a Tuesday and Wednesday, and it'll be sent to six pharmacy distributors and 10 10 to 15 health authority regional outlets. It takes about 10 days to get those vaccines out to about 1,100 pharmacies and a little shorter, about a week, five to seven days to distribute to local health authority uh, depots. So it's going to take some time. Metro Vancouver right now will get the bulk of the first vaccines that have arrived, but then that will go out to the regions on a sort of gradual basis. Again, this week, people aged 60 to 69 are going to get invited to receive their, their booster doses. In fact, some of them started receiving their invitations last week. 600 thousand imitations still we're they're waiting to see a bigger take-up than what we saw with the third dose it's just beginning of a massive campaign dr penny ballum continues to be in charge of it it's sort of slowed down a bit but it's going to speed up mm -hmm. quite quickly looking forward to my text message thanks keith mm -hmm. what was really going on behind the blue door police say the owners of this well-known vancouver pot shop amassed a real estate fortune through proceeds of crime why they might lose it all in just over a minute BC's official service to commemorate the passing of Queen Elizabeth II and who was there later on the news hour. Also in sports, the NHL team giving former Canuck Jake Furtanen a second chance. Right now, though, the B.C. government is going after millions of dollars worth of properties owned by two people who ran a downtown east side pot shop. The Blue Door prided itself on helping those with little income. But as Imadagahi reports, authorities suggest its owners amassed a fortune by breaking the law. Its doors have been shut for months now. The unlicensed marijuana dispensary, once called Blue Door, had been selling low-cost and low-barrier cannabis for a decade on Vancouver's East Hastings before police and officers enforcing BC's cannabis license and control laws raided the facility in February. Now its owners are the subject of a lawsuit by the government's director of civil forfeiture. Civil forfeiture is a process that's used to seize illicit assets from individuals uh, that gain that 
uh, asset through some type of illegal means. The civil forfeiture suit names owners Shannon and David Bowman. It wants to collect 11 real estate properties that the couple has accumulated together or individually. And not only does the document filed in Supreme Court allege the properties are the proceeds and instruments of unlawful activity, but also that some or all the funds used to acquire these assets were the proceeds of unlawful activity or tax evasion. The real estate portfolio is extensive, 11 properties purchased between 2015 and June of this year. It includes the location of the former dispensary and its next-door building on East Hastings, four Vancouver condo units, a multi-million dollar West Vancouver property, and four others in Chilliwack, a combined value of almost $15 million. Shannon and David Bowman could not be reached before airtime. The allegations against them are not yet proven, and the forfeiture is not automatic. We've had some success using uh, civil forfeiture to take back uh, illicit properties or gains from the proceeds of crime, but it's uh, going to be difficult in, in my perspective, given what the courts have actually ruled recently. Emadagahi, Global News. A former Vancouver chiropractor accused of attempted murder. Get a feel for the chiropractor based upon uh, what you see on their website. It's probably a fairly accurate representation. His recent move to Florida and the disturbing allegations he's now facing. And in health matters, the common supplement that might help treat long COVID later. Traffic is steady in both directions over here tonight at the Alex Fraser Bridge and just minor delays below it on Highway 17 at the 91 connector for some ongoing construction. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. A former Vancouver chiropractor has been arrested for allegedly attempting to kill two children in Florida. Now, those two children and a woman are alive after barricading themselves in a bedroom. Trevor Killian recently moved there to begin a new life, but as Catherine Urquhart reports, something appears to have gone terribly wrong. In Naples, Florida, crime scene tape surrounds a home after the stabbings of two young children, a boy and a girl. The prime suspect, a well-known former Vancouver-based chiropractor. Trevor Killian is now charged with two counts of attempted murder and two counts of aggravated child abuse for allegedly trying to kill the two children. A woman barricaded herself with the children in their bedroom. The five and seven-year-old are expected to survive, but both suffered collapsed lungs and had to be airlifted to hospital after being stabbed while asleep. I couldn't believe it. I was shocked, absolutely shocked, and I'm heartbroken. 47-year-old Killian moved to Florida only a few months ago, doing so amid financial losses linked to his opposition to vaccine mandates. On Rate My MDs, the latest reviews state COVID minimizer felt like a chiropractor factory and scare tactics used. And then the why helps us take us towards our vision. In a like YouTube video, Killian espouses living a healthy lifestyle, but a report by the Naples, Florida Sheriff's Office notes Killian recently stopped using synthetic cannabis. And since then, he began acting abnormally and would have manic episodes and was not sleeping or eating. 
What are the little decisions you're making on a daily basis? Are they moving? According to the police report, Killian stated, I stabbed them. I stabbed them. What have I done? And after, Killian was found on the floor of the master bedroom with what appeared to be severe self-inflicted lacerations on both of his arms. The suspect weapon found nearby. For now, the former Vancouver-based chiropractor is hospitalized, as are the two children who are listed in stable condition. A motive for the crime remains under investigation. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Up next, BC pays tribute to the Queen. The procession in Victoria and what some of the participants say about taking part. And the national holiday that left many BC parents frustrated. Well, here we are over at the Patello Bridge, where traffic is nice and light tonight, with just pockets of volume southbound down McBride through the Queen's Park stretch. When renewing your ICBC Auto Plan insurance online, select your nearest Sussex Insurance when prompted. For all online broker benefits, peace of mind, and best rates, select Sussex Insurance today. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Patello Bridge. Well, Victoria is often thought of as the most British city in B.C. And today, thousands of people in the provincial capital came out for a final farewell to Queen Elizabeth II. The procession made its way from the B.C. legislature to Christchurch Cathedral for a commemorative service. Richard Zussman was there and has more on B.C.'s event to honour the Queen. Nearly 8,000 kilometers away from where Queen Elizabeth II was buried, a different celebration of her life, thousands of British Columbians gathering to pay their respects. She spent a lifetime as a servant, as a public servant, and what an honor. She, yeah, I want to honor her. She's touched our lives, really uh, our, I guess, our model for a leader, a female leader. The service starting here, under the shadows of the B.C. legislature, a place the Queen herself visited, then weaving through the downtown core. We feel that it's a respectful thing to do. Uh, we are talking about respect and values and how important that is. Mourners of all ages remembering the Queen, two boys dressed like the Queen's guard. And this mourner holding a corgi tight, while also wearing socks showcasing the dog breed. Corgi socks. A tribute to the Queen's <laughs> beloved pets. She's just such a powerful individual, beautiful soul, and just seeing her for how many decades just amazes me. The procession ending up here at Christ Church Cathedral. A message inside from Dreamer John Horgan, one of service and dedication of the Queen to not just the people in the United Kingdom, but to here in British Columbia as well. Her face is as familiar as a comforting grandparent. We see her on our coins, on our stamps. I recall as a young boy finding money that had a man on it, and I thought it wasn't as valuable as that that had the picture of my grandmother. Queen remembered in Christchurch Cathedral for her seven trips to the province and late in her life her commitment to reconciliation with Indigenous Canadians, something her son, King Charles III, vows to continue. I've been heartened by His Majesty's conversation yesterday with our Governor General, Her Excellency Mary Mae Simon, during which he expressed his desire to work towards a renewed relationship with Indigenous peoples. A challenge for the new monarch that could contribute to the legacy of a queen long after we all say goodbye. 
Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Well, today was not a statutory holiday, but schools across the province were closed. Working parents who couldn't arrange childcare had no choice but to take the day off. As Kylie Stanton reports, the impact of closing schools on short notice went far beyond the classroom. A little bit higher. With schools closed, the playgrounds are packed. Ready for a big one? But it's the parents who say they're the ones who've been taken for a ride. The initial reaction was, what am I going to do with the kids? Mark Robinson is just one of thousands of British Columbians left scrambling for childcare following this announcement last Tuesday. We have also uh, chosen to move forward uh, with uh, a uh, federal holiday uh, on Monday. BC got on board advising the provincial public sector employers to honour the day, which of course meant the closure of most Crown corporations, public post-secondary and K-12 public schools. I was shocked. The fact that we are now expected to try to find childcare with less than a week's notice, it's just, I mean, that's just not possible. The National Day of Mourning means there will be four holidays within a six-week period, not to mention professional development days across many of BC's school districts. And with staff out in order to care for their children, businesses are once again having to adapt. There's quite a few businesses that maybe had to reduce their operating hours or simply do what a lot of small business owners have had to do for the last two years and pick up those hours themselves. You don't build an extra holiday like this into your budgeting when you're operating a business and into your business plan. Uh, government operates differently, of course, so anybody who does business with government is not working today. For some unlucky few, the holiday has resulted in the cancellation of long-awaited driver's tests. And while ICBC says those affected will be rebooked on a priority basis, it did not say how long the wait might be. We were... Um put into a bit of a dilemma. On Friday, the Premier addressed the concerns, saying he regrets the frustration the decision has caused. But it came on us quickly and uh, other provinces are feeling the same challenges. It was a great learning opportunity. Robinson took the day to watch some of the funeral with his daughters, a chance to teach them about the Queen. But the fact he had a holiday to do it might be the biggest takeaway of all. Just leave it at this, that you can't take the British out of British Columbia. Kylie Stanton, Global News. In health matters tonight, it's now estimated that one in every five adults who have had COVID-19 suffers from long COVID, symptoms that drag on for months after infection. Now, researchers in the United States are testing a treatment that could help ease the suffering. We'll have you do that. Nurse Debbie Turner has spent three decades caring for patients. But when the COVID-19 pandemic hit, the frontline worker was the patient. There are a couple days that I just, I don't remember at all. Now, more than two years after her infection, she's still battling symptoms of long COVID. I still have problems with um, my memory, like brain fog, um, I still get short of breath. There's still so much unknown about this virus. As scientists work to better understand long COVID, treatment usually focuses on relieving symptoms. Now, a new study at Hackensack University Medical Center is testing whether omega-3 supplements can help. Because we know COVID is an inflammatory process, could fish oil supplements minimize the inflammation, which in turn is possibly causing these long-term symptoms. Dr. Manisha Parulikar is leading the study. The omega-3 supplement is a specific formulation that's different from products purchased over the counter. Nurse Turner is one of 30 participants in the study's first round. I don't know if 
if I really felt a difference, but I felt hopeful that no matter what happens, if I'm on the placebo or I'm taking this, that all of this is aimed at being able to find something that may work. Proud to be a part of research that could help long COVID patients get their lives back. Elise Preston, CBS News, Hackensack, New Jersey. Just ahead, few will complain about the warm weather and sunshine we've been having, but the lack of rain comes with drawbacks. From wildfires to the farmer's market, what the ongoing drought means in B.C. And coming up in sports, Bruce, there he is. The Canucks coach talks about his first training camp with the team and what players should expect. Well, a lot of you probably enjoyed another sunny and warm day in what has been one of the driest summers on record, but there is a price to pay. As Jasmine Bala reports, the extended drought is having an impact on crops and extending the wildfire season. Yellow and dry, not a drop of rain in sight. Here on the south coast, it's been uh, extremely dry since the middle of July. If you recall, we had a pretty wet spring and a cool spring, and then bang, mid-July through now, some places hardly a drop of rain. And it's not going to change much over the next little while. We've had one of the warmest summers on record, and the warmth is expected to continue into this week, with temps hitting the mid-20s on the south coast. Over the next 10 days, I see one day with some rain coming for Metro Vancouver. The lower mainland is at a drought level of four, which means adverse impacts are likely. In Vancouver, we typically receive an average of 77 millimeters during the past two months. This year, we've received 13. Meanwhile, Prince George has received 64 millimeters of rain, but the average over that same period is around 110. Nearby, the Battleship Mountain fire is burning out of control, the lack of rain impacting the wildfire season. The fire season has been delayed, and uh, some of those higher fire danger um, levels are not showing up until later in August and, and now. With the lack of rain, our, uh, our drought levels do build, um, and one of our fire weather indices that we use as an indication of the availability of fuel to burn. Much of the province still at a moderate to high fire danger rating midway through September. The northeast and southwest corners trending higher than normal. Over in Abbotsford, farmers also affected by the lack of rain. But it turns out Halloween isn't in trouble. It's actually good for the pumpkins. A nice, healthy, uniform pumpkin, orange all the way around. It's beautiful. Less rain means fewer opportunities for disease to get into the crop. But with the wet spring, fewer seeds went into the ground. It caused a hard time for farmers to go and actually plant their pumpkins. So we weren't able to get machinery into the ground. Anybody that was able to get in the ground or plant in the ground, their seeds rot. Although these ones made it out, that means supply issues for both corn and pumpkins as we head into the fall season. Jasmbala, Global News. So, will it continue? Mm, let's find out. Yvonne <laughs> Shell is in for Christy for us tonight. Hey, Yvonne. Hey, guys. Uh, if you do like the sunshine, yes, the heat's going to be here. Temperatures are on the rise. It's going to still feel like summer. Bit of a blip in the forecast, and I'll have that in just a moment. Great shot overlooking the water right now. This is from the Wall Center Hotel camera. We're sitting at 17. We've got a northwesterly wind at 15 kilometers per hour. A reminder, with the dry conditions that we're seeing, we're still sitting at moderate. A few spots at high, even across the island, were extreme. So, please be very diligent. We still do 
do have these dry conditions and no significant moisture in the forecast. A heads up, we also have some outflow winds. It's going to be breezy. This will start to pick up for the early morning hours. We can see that out of the airport with gusts over 30 into the Fraser Valley for Abbotsford over 60 kilometers per hour and Tawasson over 40. So we'll be tracking that for the morning and leading in towards the early afternoon. But the big weather story is the temperatures. This ridge is going to start to build or continue to build rather blip in the forecast will just be for Friday. We'll likely be tracking some rainfall and then it rebounds quite quickly into next weekend. We're back into some sunshine and it'll warm up once again. We can see that with the temperature trend with some of the warmest days for both uh, tomorrow and leading in towards Wednesday. The Humidex, it'll feel closer to 29 degrees. That Friday drop in temperatures with some moisture and then by the weekend we're back into the low 20s and we'll still remain above the average for this time of the year. Pleasant for the northern half of the province inland into the low 20s. Much of the central and southern half will still see those temperatures on the rise. Dry conditions right in towards the southeastern corners of the province. Whistler will climb up to 23 as a high and areas along the south coast will see that range in temperatures especially away from the water where it's warmer 27 humidex up to 29 degrees warm one on Wednesday a bit of a change when we get in towards our Thursday that's when fall arrives towards the evening hours and then on Friday the first day of fall looks to be a wet one with periods of rain and then rebounds on Saturday 18 degrees tonight's weather window a great shot hazy conditions but this is taken above from Chilliwack Mountain guys Beautiful. well done Lynn Murchie <laughs> good one thanks Yvonne and Double J is in for Squire tonight. Hi, Jay. Hello, hello, hello. BC Lions, Vancouver Whitecaps have the uh, day off following their big wins on the weekend. Canucks get set to uh, crank it up. Training camp is just days away. I mean, I am really excited. I mean, they've been waiting for this moment for a long time, it seems. So Bruce Boudreaux wasn't just talking about teeing it up on the golf course today. Canucks training camp starts later this week. First camp for Boudreaux, and we'll discuss just ahead in sports. Sounds good. Thanks, Jay. Also tonight, a life well-lived. Words of wisdom from the Queen herself. Later. You can't help but get excited when you see Bruce Boudreau and a smiling face. Isn't that the truth? You know, the Whitecaps have uh, Vanny, the yeah. Canucks have Bruce Boudreau. Thanks, Soph. Hockey season is officially this close to us. Vancouver Canucks begin testing on Wednesday at Rogers Arena. Then it's a quick couple of days up in Whistler for training camp. First exhibition games go Sunday. They're going to play split squad games against the Calgary Flames. It's also the first training camp under Bruce Boudreau, who we chatted with today at the annual Jake Milford uh, Charity Golf Tournament out at Northview. I am really excited. I mean, they've been waiting for this moment for a long time, it seems. So it's, um, and it's, and it's approaching quicker. You think you have so much time to prepare, and you think you're prepared, and then you're going, oh my goodness, we're going to golf tournament Monday. We got one day to to patch everything up, and we're starting Wednesday. So it's, uh, it's always a panic mode when it gets a little bit uh, um, uh, at the getting ready for it but we think as a coaching staff that we're ready for for anything that can happen and we're looking forward to it what does a bruce boudreau training camp look like i mean it's a tough question because i don't know what to say i mean um you know we're going to work hard like i mean uh, in the past i never scrimmaged and and the first three days we'll be scrimmaging doing a lot of scrimmaging up in whistler but i mean for the most part it's uh, system work practice work uh conditioning work and that's that's it, and, and, and getting them in the mode that it's, uh, we want to win every time we put the skates on. All right, we all know Quinn Hughes is irreplaceable on the Canucks' left side of the blue line, but unlike Beyonce, who was all about to the left, to the left, the Canucks and Hughes have no problem shifting to the right, to the right, as in the right side of the blue line. It's an experiment Hughes and the Canucks are all in on. His attitude towards playing hockey is similar to a toddler's approach to anything. 
So with the Canucks lacking right defenseman, Quinn Hughes believes he can do it. Quinn came up to me in the, in the summer and said, listen, I'm going to try the, I wouldn't mind trying the right side if you had, don't have a problem with it. So I said, no, I think that would be great, uh, great for you to be able to do that. It's good to know how to do both. And uh, I think that it gives the coaching staff another option if they want to use me on the right side. Darling down the right wing. Delays to Hughes. He scores! Hughes is coming off a highly productive third season with the team where he tallied 68 points in 76 games. So the Canucks coaching staff won't feel pressured into forcing a permanent move. If it doesn't work out and he's not uh, a comfortable and he's not as effective on the right side as he would be on the left side, we'll move him right, move him right back. I mean, I mean, a lot was happening, too, as we didn't know the health of, of uh, Pullman. And, you know, if he's healthy, that adds it. Now all of a sudden you got Myers, Shen, Pullman on the right side. And then you might not need uh, Quinn on the left side as much. The Canucks defensemen collectively missed 121 games last year because of injury. Having versatile players on the blue line can provide some insurance for the unexpected. In hockey, injuries make, uh, make you do a lot of things that you might not be uh, ready to do. But we thought... Uh, let's at least experiment, and if it does work, then we know we could always come back to that. On the ultra-optimistic side, the experiments could even lead to a revelation and resulted Hughes being more productive on the right side. Seeing everything on my forehand, being in the O-zone, being able to take a step and take a slap shot, walk into it. Um, and, you know, I don't think anyone's seen me on the right side, so they don't know what to expect. And I think I could catch some people off guard. So he's been practicing all summer on the right side. And I think if you get an offensive D on the left side and the right side, um, you're balancing things out a bit. And, and uh, I think it would work, work well. We're going to experiment with it. We don't know if it'll stay, but we'll experiment with it during training camp. Former Vancouver Canucks forward Jake Vertanen on the ice today in Edmonton. Oilers signing Vertanen to a professional tryout contract. First time we've seen and heard from Vertanen since the jury found him not guilty of sexual assault a few months ago. Back in January, the 26-year-old was charged in connection with an incident in a Vancouver hotel room in September 2017. Vertanen said the encounter was consensual. Now he's in Edmonton, hoping to make the most of a second NHL chance that many didn't think he was going to get. Yeah, it was uh, obviously a very long process and, um, you know, I wanted to follow that process all the way through and do it the right way and, um, yeah, like, obviously going over to Russia was, uh, you know, it was definitely a new experience for me and then coming back, I, when my court case was done, I just wanted to, you know, I wanted to come back and, you know, I, I loved, loved playing in the NHL and I just want to make that happen again and I have that opportunity right now, so, yeah. It's very important to note that you, you're found not guilty in a, in a court. Um, but also in the court of public opinion, there are a lot of people that aren't as convinced that you're deserving of this, of this chance. What would you say to, to fans and people of the community about that and, and why you do deserve this chance? Yeah, I, uh, you know, it's been, you know, for me, going through something like this is, uh, it was a very tough thing to go through for me and my family and, um, you know, my partner. And, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was something... Uh, it was very hard to go through and uh, going through something like that you know you go through a lot of ups and downs and you learn a lot about yourself and who you are as a person and uh, yeah you, you do a lot of self-reflection on who you are and you, you, you know your self-worth and uh, you know it was a long process and I, I thought that by the end of it um, you know I, I'm very happy and very grateful that I did it the right way and the right process, and I went through the whole 
the whole thing properly. And, and now I'm here, and I'm very grateful for this opportunity. Now we got a fight on the field. Whoa. The bleed. Mike Evans just punched a guy, and now the benches have cleared. All right, so the smoke is cleared from yesterday's Buccaneers and Saints little mini brawl, and Bucks receiver Mike Evans suspended one game without pay. Evans got into a Saints cornerback, Marshawn Lattimore. The NFL suspending Evans for violating unnecessary roughness and unsportsmanlike conduct rules. Lattimore was in Evans' face all day long, as well as Tom Brady, and that is what set him off. He plans to appeal the one-game suspension. That's your look at sports, everybody. Thank you very much, Double J. Thank you, Jay. Up next, Her Majesty in her own words. From the stories we need to know to a look at what's happening right now around us. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Connect. This was a high-risk, high-reward strategy. So we wanted to set the record straight. But at the end of the day, we talk. And where we talk is right here at CKNW. Well, it's been a packed news day already, but Jordan Armstrong is standing by now with a look ahead to Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan? Sophie, thank you. A huge house fire in Surrey this afternoon sent two people to hospital, one with serious injuries. Fire broke out in a home near 148th Street and 75A Avenue. The house was fully engulfed in flames and destroyed. The house next door sustained smoke damage. At 11, what neighbors say might have started this fire. Plus, video of a dramatic rescue in the Caribou region. A man found with no life jacket clinging to the side of a boat and pulled from the cold waters of Sheridan Lake just in time. As well, we're hearing from a Vancouver woman who says she nearly fell victim to a random attack in downtown Vancouver. At 11, she'll tell us how she avoided it. Sophie? All right, looking forward to that. Thanks, Jordan. No shortage of those random attacks in Vancouver. All right, for the past 10 days, this woman has dominated our coverage. I'm talking about the Queen right next to me, not Sophie. Not me. Mm -hmm. As we said at the outset of tonight's news hour, it truly is the end of an era, and especially today with the Queen's funeral. So much has already been said and written about this historic day and the last 10 days, as you said. Mm -hmm. So it seems fitting that as we say goodnight, we will give the last word to Her Majesty one final time. Thank you very much for your trust over the past 10 days watching our coverage. Have a good night. If we all go forward together with an unwavering faith, a high courage and a quiet heart, we shall be able to make of this ancient commonwealth an even grander thing. I declare before you all that my whole life whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service. It's inevitable that I should seem a rather remote figure to many of you. I do not give you laws or administer justice, but I can do something else. I can give you my heart. I pledged my life to the service of our people, although that vow was made when I was green in judgment, 
I do not regret nor attract one word of it. The future is, as ever, obscure. The only certainty is that it will present the world with new and daunting problems. But if we continue to stick to our fundamental ideals, I have every confidence that we can resolve them. It is my hope that when judged by future generations, our sincerity, our willingness to take a lead, and our determination to do the right thing will stand the test of time. While we may have more still to endure, better days will return. We will meet again.